everyone, Kristen Rice here with the Raw and Revolution podcast. Today, I am so excited for you to listen to my conversation with Lisa Rachel Snyder. She is amazing and came on to talk to us about eating, body image, and our relationship with food. She herself struggled with food, her weight, and body image for nearly 20 years until a family tragedy led her to yoga, meditation, and compassion, which ultimately enabled her to heal her relationship with food for good. Lisa is really candid about her experience um, after her brother's suicide and how that really led her to go down a path of healing herself, which allowed her to heal this relationship with food and develop her beautiful badass method so that anyone with compulsive thoughts about food can learn how to be free of them and eat intuitively. If you are looking for a healthy relationship with food, your body, yourself, so that you can live a life eat what you want, and recognize the beautiful badass that you are, you can join Lisa on her, on her seven-week online course that starts January 1st. In this episode, she outlines her beautiful badass method, the seven steps that get you from where you are to really having a loving and nurturing relationship with yourself, food, and your body. I am just so excited for you to listen and learn from her incredible depth and breadth of wisdom. Regardless of if you feel like you struggle with food or not, this episode is for everyone because it really looks at the theme of self-love, which is a term that's been thrown around so much lately, and it's all fantastic, this idea of self-love and self-care, but the reality is a lot of times we talk about it without actually knowing how to genuinely create a relationship where we can love ourselves. And that's where Lisa's work lives. So I look forward to hearing how you all felt about this episode and what your key takeaways were. And I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Because nothing in itself is inherently good or bad. Everything, when when you're going through something that brings up a lot of pain and suffering. If, if somewhere inside you can have a, a, a bit of faith and trust that it's leading you somewhere, it absolutely will. It'll lead you towards more healing. I'm here with Lisa Rachel Snyder, and I am so excited to be talking about body and eating and our relationship with food and anything and everything else that might come up in this conversation. Uh, Lisa is just a dear friend and a soul connection for me personally. And so it feels so special to have her here in the space with us to just bring her wisdom and insight. So first, I just want to say welcome and thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I, I know we, we met in Cambodia several years ago when we were both on our own little spiritual transformation journeys, and it's amazing how far we've both come. Yeah, it's really, it's really wild to think about when we met and where we were and just 
being on that path of our healing journeys. And I think about the like archetypal wounded healer, right? Where you go with the intention to heal yourself. And in, in the process of doing that, you learn so much about how to heal others. And just to think about where we were, knowing that we were both deeply intuitive at the time and in our spiritual work at the time, but having no idea that we would actually both be doing the work that we are doing now in the present moment. No idea. (laughs) So wild to think back on those, um, the innocence of like what you don't know ahead of time. Right. And the suffering that we were going through at that time. I mean, I know for myself, it, I was just in a fog. I actually, I have so little memory of that time, except for like the comfort that I got from people like you who were there for me when I needed you. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's just to give everybody a little bit of awareness. Um, I went to Cambodia because I kind of had this choice moment in my life where I was deeply unhappy and miserable and was healing from a lot of childhood trauma and, or rather I hadn't healed from a lot of childhood trauma. And I kind of reached this moment where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so what am I going to do now? And so I kind of put myself in my own like little time out of my life and retreated to Cambodia. And Lisa, if you want to tell everybody about what you were doing there, cause I know it actually really, you know, it, we'll get into it later, but it comes back into how you healed your, your relationship with food. Right. Eating. So for you directly linked. Yeah. Yeah. I went to Cambodia because my brother had just committed suicide and I quit my job and I knew I needed to get away and I knew I needed to heal from that. So it was an incredibly vulnerable time in my life. I literally, I think I met you, it must have been about five or six weeks after my brother had died. I had just gotten there. And, um, and it was also the most transformative period of my life because in putting myself in a situation like that in Cambodia where we were immersed in mindfulness, yogic, meditation practices, I felt everything that needed to be felt. And so in healing the grief that I of of losing my brother, I actually ended up pulling up with it so much more older grief from childhood and as a result healed my relationship with food, which that's not the only thing that healed my relationship with food. I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but um but it certainly helped a lot. And, and also began to heal a lot of old childhood traumas, things that weren't even necessarily like uh, dramatic traumas, but just, you know, subtle abandonment issues of just not getting the love that I really needed as a kid and the, the things that ended up leading to having compuls- a compulsive relationship with food later on. So all of that stuff just started coming up and, and got worked through in that period of time. And it was really intense, but also really powerful. And I'm so grateful to have gone through that, partly because um, it helps me to understand um, 
suffering in a way that gives me so much compassion for others and allows me to help others in their own healing now. I really resonate with that, that expansion of being able to understand and feel what other people can possibly feel. Um, right. Yeah. And what it's interesting as you were talking, I was just thinking about, I can imagine some people listening and being like a gift. Like, what do you mean? This, it was such a gift. And at the same time, thinking about the soul contracts that we make with each other as we come into this human form and how are these relationships or these familial relationships are all so purposeful and that we're all here to teach each other and grow and expand and what a beautiful gift and service of love that your brother could teach you all these things that are healing you at such a soul level because it's, yeah. it's really caused you to, to open up and take a look at everything that you once knew. Yeah, it's completely changed my entire life, my entire outlook. Yeah. I like, I, I like to say it like this. Um, if I had a choice to take my brother back in exchange for all of the healing that I've received as a result of losing him, I would take him back in a heartbeat. I would go back to living the miserable suffering life with an eating disorder and depression and anxiety and all of the things that I was struggling with at that time, I would absolutely go back to that if I had the choice to take my brother back. But I don't have that choice. Mm -hmm. So I've chosen to see it as a gift and I've chosen to be grateful for all that it's given me. And because nothing in itself is inherently good or bad, Everything, when, you, when you're going through something that brings up a lot of pain and suffering, if, if somewhere inside you can have a, a, a bit of faith and trust that it's leading you somewhere, it absolutely will. It'll lead you towards more healing because when you open yourself up to receive the gifts in any experience, then you do. Mm-hmm. And you grow from them rather than like when you go through things like that, you actually have a choice to either close off and become bitter and miserable and resent life and see yourself as a victim, or you have a choice to lean into the faith and find the expansion in that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, when you were doing quite a bit of writing uh, during your time in Cambodia and you were looking at the choice to have faith or not. And it, it was just kind of like the, why wouldn't you choose? Why wouldn't you choose this way when the other way, like all, all that's there is the pain and suffering or you can choose this other path and maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. Who knows? But why wouldn't you choose the path that, brings you more stillness and calmness. Yeah. I mean, we'll never know if it's true or not that everything happens for a reason. There's, there's no way to like actually prove that. Right. On like a scientific level. So, so why not make the choice that makes for a happier existence? Why not choose to believe in whatever makes for a happier existence? Because we actually create our reality with our beliefs. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Um, (laughs) 
so many different things we could spin off and go and talk about because um, I just love talking to you so much about our different theories about life and the universe. Um, but one of the things I really wanted you to come on and talk about is your work in the world. And I know that shows up in a lot of different ways. So why don't you just kind of give me an overview of like, how do you help people in the world <laughs> in general? Okay. Um, well, I do a lot of things. Um, I, I started out as a yoga teacher and, um, and then I started teaching mindfulness and meditation in the corporate space. And then I became Reiki attuned and I give Reiki healings and I also give astrology and Oracle readings. But my main focus right now is this method that I've created called the beautiful badass method. It's a seven step method to a healthy relationship with food, your body and yourself. And it's based on the way I healed my own 20-year struggle with food. So when we met, um, I was about 19 years into my struggle with food. And it was really when I was in the midst of healing it. Um, I had... About a year prior, I had made a decision to heal my relationship with food. It was actually the first time in my life that, um, that I admitted to myself that I really had an eating disorder because I wasn't throwing up. I wasn't, I, I wasn't um, anorexic. I really just had a compulsive relationship with food. I was always on a diet. I hated my body. I hated myself. I mistreated myself with food. It was kind of like I was punishing myself all the time. And I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't trust myself with food. I felt like if I ate what I wanted, I would eat everything in sight and blow up and become fat and ugly and unlovable, unworthy. And, um, so I was always dieting and I was um, always soaking up like every trend, every book, every, everything I could glean from a nutritionist. And, um, and I was completely miserable. And um, so I made a decision. I admitted to myself that this was a problem, that I couldn't continue to live this way anymore. And I started working at it. And it was really when my brother died that the binges stopped. And I shifted my relationship with food because I actually couldn't survive without being kind to myself at that time. And that shifted everything just the act of being kind to myself, which is actually the basis of what I teach people now. All of the steps are really leading towards self-love and self-kindness and figuring, because we, we don't know how to love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Self-love is everywhere. It's like, love yourself first, blah, blah, blah. But like, how, how do you do it? And it's, and it's a matter of working through these steps and these tools and finding the ones that work for you, finding the ones that you need in your experience. And, um, and it's sort of a dance and it doesn't happen overnight. 
Um, for me, it took, so when, when I met you, I mean, that was really when I stopped binging and then it took another 10 months or so before I could really say that I loved my body. Um, but my relationship with food had, had shifted at that time because I was being kind to myself with food. Um, and the self-love was still kind of in, in process, but, um, and that's still a process. Self-love, that's an ongoing. There's always another layer to it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't think that one ever really completely ends. We're always tested in different ways when it comes to that. But at this point in my life, I'm, although I sometimes don't love going through those tests, there's still, there's something in me that is is grateful for them when I'm going through them now because I know that A, I can handle them and B, that they are opening me up into more fully realizing who I am and um, coming into a much deeper sense of peace and a much greater capacity to love others. So, yeah. Yes, so important. I mean, at the end of the day, we can only love others as much as we love ourselves. So this work, exactly. you know, it's interesting because you can look at your work and say, oh, it's eating and body and your relationship with food. But at the end of the day, what it sounds like is this methodology that really helps you tune in and learn how to love yourself in that deep, meaningful and fulfilling way. It's actually going to radiate to every part of your life because it's going to affect your relationships. It's going to affect how you love others. It's going to affect how you perceive others. It's, you know, when we work on our belief system, like you said, it changes everything. It changes our perception of everything around us. So it's so impactful. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I'm so interested in um, understanding this idea of, like you said, you weren't anorexic, you weren't throwing up. So, and this is one of the questions I had is I feel like so many people out there probably have a really unhealthy relationship with food, potentially even an eating disorder. And they have no idea because it's not what it's taught to us in seventh grade health class. Right. Yeah. And it's sneaky because your mind can trick you to thinking that you're healthy, that you're just being healthy by watching what you eat. Um, so what a healthy relationship with food actually looks like is you eat when you're hungry, you stop eating when you're full, you don't really worry so much about food, you are naturally drawn to healthy foods because you're eating out of self-kindness, you're eating out of self-love. That doesn't mean that you're strict about what you eat in any way. Um, You probably indulge in dessert sometimes. You probably indulge in some greasy, fatty foods sometimes. That's still healthy. You're not going to overdo it if you have a healthy relationship with food because you're acting out of self-love and self-kindness. And it wouldn't be kind to overdo it. So um, it's really about coming into this. When you were a kid, you knew how to eat. Probably. Most of us knew how to eat intuitively when we were kids. Most of us ate when we were hungry, stopped eating when we were full, and chose, you know, maybe it was junk food every once in a while, but like 
we chose the foods that we actually wanted, that our bodies wanted. And then we stopped eating before we were so stuffed that we didn't have the energy to go out and play afterwards because our, our priorities were actually like fun and play. And so it's coming back into that intuitive knowing with food. And so that thoughts about food and diets are not burdening you all day long. Like at this point in my life, I, it, one of the things that's so liberating is that I don't think about food. I literally thought about food all day, every day. Like, or then maybe I like had some anxiety about like a relationship or something. But like beyond that, it was like I was always worried mm. about what I was going to eat next and like how fattening it was and like um, if it was going to keep me satisfied until the next meal or whatever. And now I actually – I think about food when I start to realize that I'm hungry and I ask my body, what, what do you want right now? And I feed it that and then I'm satisfied until I'm hungry again. And that's it. It's like a completely different world. And as a result, it's given me space to actually focus on other areas of my life that need my attention and um, build a business and come into my power and um, and recognize how much strength I have for having uh, having come from where I was to where I am now. So it's um, so so yeah, that's a healthy relationship with food. Yeah, and it strikes me too because as you're talking, it feels like there's this. Um, you know, if you're always thinking about food and I definitely feel like when you're in diet culture, you're always thinking about food. You're like meal, meal planning, meal prepping, figuring out all these different things. What's, what's it within the guidelines, what's not. And there's a certain amount of energy and attention and focus that goes on that one thing. And when I work with people who have different addictions, I always find that food addiction is one of the hardest to work with because you have to eat, right? Like we have to eat to survive. And so if you have um, an unhealthy relationship with food, it's not like you can just cut it out and go cold turkey and like eliminate it from your system. So I think sometimes when we are in this health conscious world of eating, People go all the way over to the entire extreme and they're only solely focused on the healthy ways that they're eating, but it's still an addiction because your mind is on it all day, every day. And if your mind is on it all day, every day, it can't be on anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring up the, the fact that you can't escape. I actually think of that as a blessing, mm -hmm. the fact that when it comes to food addiction, you're actually forced to look at the root of the problem because you can't just avoid it and put it in a little box like you can with some other addictions. And, you know, there are plenty of addictions to substances that we don't physically need to survive. And when people recover from that, they kind of consider themselves always an addict because a lot of times they're still tempted. Mm -hmm. And 
when you heal your relationship with food and, and look at the places in yourself where you're not fully loving yourself, the places in yourself that, are, that, that you're trying to fill with food rather than with your own love and attention, then you, um, you actually have no more temptation to behave in those self-destructive ways because you've filled the whole yourself with what it actually wants. So um, I actually don't even consider myself recovered from my eating disorder. I consider myself having healed my eating disorder because it's not, there's literally no more temptation to behave in those ways anymore. I've come into, I've cultivated so much more love for myself at this point that that's not even like a possibility. Yeah. And it's just like you said, you can still indulge in things, but you're not using it to cope or you're not using it in the same way. It becomes a completely different relationship with things. And I know we've personally talked about, um, the addiction field and actually you were sharing with me one of your experiences of going to like a group for people who, um, were in recovery in parentheses from their eating disorders. And the idea that, um, you're always going to be in recovery and this is the basic addiction model you, and not with food, but with anything else, you sustain from the substance. It's pure willpower and that's it. The substance is the problem. And the reality is it's always a symptom of something so much deeper and so much greater. And if you heal the symptom, then you can have a different relationship with that. And I know I'm not going to say like, that's a blanket thing because there might be some people that have more extreme circumstances than others. But um, I really love that in your work, you really work from this place, this deeper, deeply rooted place of trying to heal the underlying cause of the symptom, which is the addiction or yes. the, you know, compulsion or the way in which it's manifesting through food. But really, it's always something so much more that can be transformed. Yeah, absolutely. And so really interested in this this methodology that you've created and and how you really walk people through that process. So the method is actually based on the seven chakras. Ah, my favorite. I love the <laughs> chakras so much. <laughs> um, so do you want me to walk you through the steps? Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, so the first step is grounding getting into your body because most of us are in our minds. Most of us are thinking about the past or the future or we're feeling anxiety or we're daydreaming or we're fantasizing or whatever, but the body is always in the present moment. So when we come into the body, we come into the present moment. And it's also only when we come into the body that we can listen to the body. So the first step is really about getting people grounded and Again, this is a process like grounding is still something that I struggle with at times. Um, I need to, I, I live in New York City. Like sometimes I just like have to like find a tree to hug because <laughs> the energy here. But, um, but yeah, but when it comes to listening to your body and, and eating in a healthy way, you have to come into your body first. So that's step one. Step two is nourishment. 
And I talk about nourishment being both emotional as well as physical. So once you're in your body, then you can listen to your body and you can choose the foods that your body actually craves on a physical level, but also on an emotional level, we need to be emotionally nourished. So there's nothing wrong with indulging in something sweet because you need a little bit of sweetness if it's coming from a place of self-love. Because again, as I said, you're not going to overdo it. You're going to be treating yourself and it's an act of love in that way. So, so that's my question for you, because I have this thing with craft macaroni and cheese, which is like so fake, fake food. Right. But right. it's like from childhood. So when I'm having a really terrible day and I just need that comfort, that's when I eat that type of food. Right. And it's really just that it's like, I'll have craft macaroni and cheese because it makes me feel comforted. And part of me is always wondered, I'm, you know, I judge myself so much for that because I'm like, I should know better. It's a packaged product. It's all toxic. It's chemicals. But so there's that, that part that I feel like isn't healthy. And then the part of me that knows me says, no, but you just want to feel the comfort from it. Just let yourself be comforted. And so I'm wondering if that's like, the devil and angel on my shoulder? Like, is that, is that what you're speaking to of like self-love versus like that toxic shame spiral? (laughs) So I would ask like, are you punishing yourself in some way by choosing that food or is it actually just coming from a place of really wanting to take care of yourself? Cause to me, that's the distinction. It Mm -hmm. it's, it's the intention behind it. Um, if you're having physical symptoms from the, the fact that it's, you know, a processed food, like if that is toxic to your body and you're having reactions to that, then I would say then it's maybe not coming out of love. Maybe you are sort of punishing yourself. Um, but if it's really just like an occasional, I just want to treat myself. I just, this stuff, this food makes me actually makes me feel good then there's nothing wrong with that. Hmm. Interesting. I'll have to do some more inquiry on that then. Cause I'm, you know, I think yeah. right now I'm like, Hmm, I don't know. I have to look at that. Yeah. 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 Do some self-reflection. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Just sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it really just comes down to the intention mm-hmm. because look, if you're, if if you're eating a lot of processed foods and you're telling yourself that it's coming out of self-love, but your body is having negative reactions to it, then that's not good. That's not love. Um, Because if you were acting out of love, you would really be wanting your body to feel healthy. So that's what I mean when I say that when you heal your relationship with food, you're just naturally drawn to healthy foods because you want to feel good. And so you're drawn to the foods that make you feel good. And those are ultimately the foods that make you healthiest. Mm-hmm. Um, so going on with the steps, step three is empowerment. This is about taking your power back from diets, from experts, from nutritionists, from scales, from Fitbits, from all these external sources that we give our power to. Um, my eating disorder really, 
I, I think it's, it took a turn when I was about 11 or 12 and I went to my first Weight Watchers meeting and in that meeting, and I was, I was 11 or 12, like I was like prepubescent, like I was a little bit chubby because I was about to go through puberty. And um, I didn't really have a problem with food at the time, but I went to this Weight Watchers meeting and what I learned there was that I couldn't trust myself, that if I ate in the way that I wanted to eat, I would, I would eat everything. And so I had to count calories. I had to count, they were, it was points at the time. I had to count points. I had to go on diets. I had to watch what I was eating because I couldn't trust myself. And that belief lived with me for the next 18 years, 20 years, whatever. Um, so power actually comes down to trust. It's about, um, Taking your power back doesn't mean not taking the advice of experts, but you take the advice and then you come back into yourself and you say, is this right for me? And if the answer is no, then don't do it. If the answer is yes, then do it. But ultimately it comes down to what's right for you. So when I'm teaching this course, I tell people, if I say something that's not right for you, then don't take it. It, maybe it worked for me, but ultimately, I want you to come into your own power. So, so don't take my advice if it's not right for you. Trust your own inner voice because that's where your power is. Step four is love. This is about eating as an act of love towards yourself as well as others. So I didn't mention this earlier when we were talking about when my brother died, but um, <clears throat> the biggest, one of the major things that happened at that time was I decided, I was so broken at the time that I, I, the idea of causing harm to anyone was unacceptable to me. So I made a choice to become vegan because I didn't want to harm animals and I didn't want to have as much of a negative impact on the environment as I was having. And the interesting thing about that is I had tried to be vegan a few years earlier, but I was doing it because I thought I would get thin mm -hmm. and I was doing it wrong and I was malnourished and I wasn't eating carbs and I ended up gaining a bit of weight. But then fast forward a few years later and my brother had died and I was suffering so much and I, and I made this choice because I was acting out of love for others, for animals and the environment. And, and I didn't expect this to happen at all. But what happened was because I was acting out of love, first of all, I stuck with it. Mm -hmm. And second, it was like it gave me permission to be kind to myself. Like I deserved to be kind to myself because I was finally being kind to others. Mm. So you, um, so love and compassion. So what I, what I tell people is that eating a compassionate diet is important to healing your relationship with food. That's compassionate, whatever that means to you. It doesn't have to be a vegan diet like it is for me. 
It could be cutting out plastic. It could be shopping locally. It could be meatless Mondays. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like whatever, what, again, coming back into like what, what's right for you. Mm -hmm. So, um, but a compassionate diet so that it feels like you're eating in a way that's aligned with your heart and your values, that is vital. So, so interesting because I had tried to go um, vegetarian for health reasons and failed miserably. Like it lasted like two months and it was like the worst thing that broke me. I was at like a football game and was like, those chicken tenders look delicious. <laughs> and, and then I went vegetarian for, you know, similar reasons, right? For I had watched some documentaries that scarred me for life and was like, I remember even having like an oh shit moment when I was watching it, like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to eat meat again. And I, and I couldn't, and I haven't been able to since. And it, and it's from that place. It's from that place of wanting to do no harm, wanting to, you know, vote with my dollar, wanting to love. And again, I'm in the, I'm the same as you. Everybody has a different definition of what, like what is right for them. And for me, um, I'm not, I do light dairy. I'm not fully vegan. I try to minimal, minimalize that word, make it as minimal as possible. But like, that was the difference for me in sticking to it is that when I try to do it for myself, for my own health, which at the, at the time I didn't have the same amount of self-love and worth. So I think people can do that if they are in that place. Right. But what, what stuck for me before I was at that place to have that level of worth and love for myself was the compassion and empathy I had for the people that that choice was affecting. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We had a similar journey with that. It was like tried, (laughs) failed miserably. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then the universe was like, here you go. This will help. (laughs) Yeah. Was it earthlings? What did you watch? Um, I'm not, I don't think it was earthlings. I'm not entirely sure. It was so long ago. It's like six years ago. Um, but yeah. Um, so <laughs> uh, I guess I'll move on. I know we just keep going off on tangents. Sorry. <laughs> um, so step five is integrity. And in the context of this work, this is about honoring yourself by sticking with it because the healing process is not a straight path. Mm-hmm. It's a windy path. And in fact, the, the experiences that feel like mistakes are actually necessary because they're informing you. They're showing you where you still have blind spots, where you still have work to do. So, and if there were no mistakes, then there would be nothing to heal. So, um, so step five is really about sticking with it and trusting that every experience that feels like a failure is actually informing your healing. Um, And that is linked up with step six, which is forgiveness. And forgiveness comes from understanding. When we pull back and look at the whole picture, then we see that everything that happens is the result of everything that has happened. So it's not like you just 
you know, you had a bite of a donut and then therefore you like stuffed your face with everything in sight. Um, everything that happens is the result of, leads to everything that happens. So in other words, every, everyone that I've come across and the way I was raised and the way my parents were raised and the way their parents were raised and back and back and back has led me to where I am in this moment. So anything that feels like a mistake, I actually came about honestly from all of those experiences. And actually in the same way, we're all connected because we're all in our small little actions, we're all sort of influencing each other. And so when you pull back and look at the whole picture with clarity, then you recognize that anything that you're holding resentment towards, anyone that you're not forgiving for any reason, and yourself also, anything that you're angry at yourself about, you, you, were, you were doing your best. Everyone was doing their best. And the forgiveness comes naturally when you recognize this. Um, I've thought about this a lot with my brother because, as I mentioned, he committed suicide. And so obviously there's a lot of guilt involved in that that I've had to work through and, and, and I'm still working through. And whenever I notice myself having those guilty thoughts, then I remember like the things that I, I wish I had done differently. I remember that at the time I was doing the best I could and I was doing what I thought was best at the time. And, and I couldn't have done anything differently than that. So when I realize that, it makes it easier for me to forgive myself. And then step seven is integration. This is about recognizing that we're not our bodies and we're not our thoughts. So our thoughts lie to us all the time. You may be feeling great. You may be having a great day and feeling beautiful and successful. And then you run into your ex with his new girlfriend and all of a sudden you feel ugly and fat and like a failure and literally nothing has changed except for your thoughts. So when we pull back into ourselves in a deeper way, and observe our thoughts and observe our bodies, we recognize that we are neither of them. And that's where true freedom lies. I love that this is the final step and not the first step. (laughs) I feel like so much of what is happening in the personal development world and in the spiritual world is about really controlling your thoughts. And there's a lot of spiritual bypassing that's done with that about like, Oh, only deal with the positive things. Cause then you'll get more of that and don't deal with the negative stuff. Cause then you'll get more of that. And like, that's a little bit of bullshit. <laughs> and I think that so many people start first on the training, the mind when actually that's like, it feels so true that that would be the final step is once you've gone through the real work of working through each of those energetic centers and getting them clear and aligned and like healing whatever was there to be healed, that then 
you would bring it to the mind and be like, here's the new deal, right? Yeah. It feels so much better than if we were just like, okay, let's get your mindset right so that you can eat in a way that, that you love yourself. But then what happens is we're on that conscious logical level and we're not actually in the subconscious energetic space of it, which is where the only way we can really fully change and heal ourselves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those thoughts, we, we can't exactly, we can't control our thoughts. We can notice that we can pull back out of them, but we can't really, I mean, we can control them to some extent, but then unconsciously they're going to start carrying us somewhere. And when I teach meditation, I talk about this a lot that like, there's this um, misconception that meditation is about quieting the mind and stopping the thoughts. And maybe once you completely self-realize, yes, sure, that's where you are. But for most of us, the practice is watching the thoughts and not getting carried away by them and observing them and, and becoming self-aware in watching them. And noticing like, oh, that's interesting that that came up, but also recognizing that they're not you and that who you are is so much greater than your thoughts and your mind. And so when you meditate a lot, you begin connecting to this, uh, this space that is just pure love and expansion and expansiveness. Yeah, I love that because I think so many people who are listening to this probably have heard of meditation and want to get started but aren't really sure how or they think they're really bad at it or right. they, um, they just have this idea of what it's supposed to be. And I remember when we were in Cambodia, one of the meditation teachers there was talking about how like visualizing yourself sitting on top of a mountain and all your thoughts are like the people going by down below in the valley. And so you're just like watching them move past you. Mm. And that was like, I think that was such a game changer for me because I was like, Oh, okay. So they're supposed to be there. And like you said, it's, you know, it's a muscle with practice. Those get fewer and fewer and fewer. And then you can get to the space where there isn't that, but anybody who's just starting off in meditation is going to have a billion thoughts because that's what we are used to in our day-to-day -day life and being able to just know that if you're thinking about getting started or you are getting started, that it's completely normal to be like inundated with like your to-do list popping up in the middle of meditation. <laughs> totally. And there's also no wrong way to meditate. Right. Like, I mean... I've been doing this for years. Some days I just like am, I'm ha I have like an anxious meditation mm -hmm. and it's still beneficial. I'm still getting something from that. It's still bringing me down a little bit. Um, and then some days I have a super blissful meditation. It's different every time and I don't judge it anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. It's, it's like, I don't, I don't, tell myself that one way is better than another. It's just what it is. Each it day. is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I love your work so much. It feels, it just feels so good. It feels so true. It feels so helpful for so many people. I mean, I can think of, even if you didn't, you know, didn't feel like you had the most, um, 
unhealthy relationship with food, you know, I think somebody could go through and just say like, oh, I have this soda problem I can't kick and be able to go through this course and really not only work through whatever that particular issue is, but they'll come to such a deeper understanding and place of alignment within themselves that would just radiate out to your whole life because you're working on the energetic field, um, which is really amazing. So I love your methodology. Thank you so much for Thank you. sharing it. Yeah, the, um, the sneaky secret about my work is that I'm actually teaching self-love. I'm just framing it <laughs> as helping people heal their relationship with food, but it's really about coming into a much deeper sense of self and power. So when, you know, one other thing that I'm just thinking of before, um, before we wrap up is like, how has this impacted you coming to, you know, obviously I know that you've really healed your relationship with food through this, but just in general, because this is like you said, so much greater, this coming through and realizing these different steps at all these different points in your journey. If you look back to yourself let's say before um, your brother passed away to now, like what has been, what is your overarching like assessment of, of what this has brought you? Yeah, it's funny. My, um, my friends now don't believe me when I tell them this because a lot of my friends I've met in the last few years, but I used to be an angsty bitch. I was so angry. I was so self-righteous. I would like yell at people who cut me in line. I, um, I, and I thought that that was power. I thought that that was strength. I liked intimidating people. I was a bit of a bully actually at times. And, um, and I was miserable and I was also, um, had so much social anxiety and, um, very few female friends, um, t many toxic relationships with men, and I had no clue what I was doing with my life. Um, lots of anxiety. And then my brother died, and I began to actually show up for myself. And I leaned into my vulnerability, which ultimately revealed to me my strength. And it's interesting because uh, my brother was a Libra. My brother was like the type of person who was always looking out for others and at the cost of himself. Like he, <clears throat> and I was the opposite. So we were kind of balanced in a way, the two of us growing up. Um, and I think when he died, I, um, I took on a lot of his qualities. So I still had my inner awareness, my, um, my sort of selfishness, which um, at the time it was selfish. Now I think it's uh, self-awareness. But I had this sense of self, but then I started integrating this uh, wanting to show up for others and began to find a balance with that and began to actually love myself and come into a sense of self-worth, which allowed me to form relationships with other people that were more fulfilling. And um, 
And then I started my own business. I came into alignment with my values and what it is that I truly believe in and began offering that even though, you know, I, I, the way I grew up was that spirituality was weird and um, illogical. And now I'm like this like spiritual girl, like it, and, and I had to come into my power enough to not be afraid of what people thought of me. And I mean, I, 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 I'm like a completely different person now. I, I can't imagine being someone who like just starts yelling at some random person on the street for cutting it or whatever. Like, um, there's, there's just so much more self-acceptance and therefore so much more acceptance of others and where they're at. And I try to have compassion for others because I have more compassion for myself. So, um, and it's constantly expanding. I mean, if, if I do notice like a, a negative impulse that comes up to, to it, like if I, if I did notice that maybe I had an impulse to yell at someone or something like that, I don't know if I would do it or not, but what I would certainly do is I would look at it and ask myself, where did that come from? What is it in me that they activated? Because ultimately it comes down to that. And then I would, and then I would work through it. And that's, that's the game. That's the, that's the practice. And that's, that's how we continue to constantly evolve. Yeah. Yeah. I often say that traffic and um, road stuff is like my ultimate truth teller for how I'm doing. Because <laughs> if, if somebody like cuts me off and I'm like, Oh, they must be having like a bad day or like whatever. Like, you know, if they're just, if somebody's a total jerk on the road, it's like, oh man, like they must be having a terrible day or like whatever. And I, I, I find myself having compassion or there can be the time where I'm just like, oh, like what a jerk. And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Let's yeah. look at that. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like once you get to a certain place, you start to realize that it's all about where you are and it has nothing totally. to do with anybody else. Yeah. Nothing's personal, yeah. actually. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing with us your wisdom and um, about the work that you're doing in the world, which is so beautiful and profound. And if anybody is listening and wants to work with you further or wants to learn more and go deeper into this methodology, how would they do that? So I am launching my next course on January 1st. It's a seven-week online course, but if you sign up for the regular course, then you can do it at your own pace, and, um, and that's my major offering right now. You can also contact me about personal coaching and, and things like that, but um, my method is a seven-week online course, and it's going to be available January 1st. And, and then if you can't make it January 1st, I'll be launching another round in the spring. Perfect. And they would go to your website for that? Yes. It's lisarachelsnyder.com. Perfect. And I'll put that all the info in the show notes so that it's easy for people to get there as well as your Instagram and all the places that everybody can find you. 
Awesome. Thank you.